0: Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bolling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend, Curly
1: Joe Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm feeling cold tonight. Unfortunately, I lost those curls. <laughs> I know. Well, you know,
0: Curly Joe. That was the. Wasn't that the second Curly of the Three Stooges? First one was Curly, and the second one was Curly Joe. Was it? Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to I catch back so. up on the Stooges. I was never a fan of the Three Stooges. I don't know why. I was casual. I wasn't into slapstick that much. I was more of an Abbott and Costello, you know, boy. I prefer Abbott and Costello,
1: but my dad was, uh, is, well, still is a big Three Stooges fan. So, like, when they show it on AMC for, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning at 530 in the morning, he's that person who's up watching the Stooges still. But
0: I am impressed you came through. When we were doing our Give Kids the World's Marathon, and a lot of our colleagues said that when it got, well, I don't know if they had a choice, when it got to a certain level in uh, donations, they would shave their heads. And as far as I know, I might not be up on all the head shaven, um, you're the first one to get your head shaved.
1: I was the first one, and Paul Krieger did it after I did mine. Uh, Paul from the DVC show, and okay. Pete still has to do his, but uh, he'll he'll get there eventually. So apparently, he wanted to to do his in coordination with me. But when I was at his house last week, I told him that I wasn't comfortable going into a barber shop yet, and that i would prefer to do mine at home and with with kylie and i told him while he was texting someone and i got i got that blank response of yeah yeah sure sure so uh, it was yeah. a surprise <laughs> you then, asked him at the right time <laughs> yeah i mean i so i i just went ahead and did mine and then apparently he was surprised later like <laughs> Well, we had the conversation where you gave me uh, permission to go and do it, so I, I think his will be probably his next haircut, because he just got his okay. haircut recently for, for noticed that a different purpose, and uh, now, now he will most likely end up doing his head shave the next time around, but it wasn't a big Isn't deal Isn't there for a me. fourth person, or am I wrong on that? Uh, they tried to convince Corey into doing it, but that was where the... That's where the confusion in all of this is coming in, that he was willing to do it with Jolie cutting his hair live when that show was happening. But then he said, oh, you know, you're just going to buzz my hair right now, and that's fine. And then Pete said, no, it's going to be a shave. And so then the confusion came in. Are we talking, is it like a Bic Razor shave all the (gasps) way down to Uncle Fester or is it a <laughs> military, you walk in, you know, the beginning of full metal jacket going in for your mm-hmm. military shave where you just get the clippers over your head real fast and you have you have a little fuzz on top. And that's what that's what I did with mine because I have a lot right. of uh you know, I have a lot of gross and and um and uh like little blood spots on top of my head that Kylie was too freaked out about cutting and seeing what oozes out of them but cory on uh, he didn't go through with it because he's like nope i'm not i'm not putting a a, a safety razor to my head and going full shiny bald but we we'll yeah Maybe i don't blame do him on
0: that <laughs> so anyway
1: all righty well congratulations i'm Thank very you.
0: proud of you so, so cold <laughs> so a good cause yeah And and now you can can get that ski cap on for the winter. (laughs) I will. I will wear it,
1: (laughs) probably. All
0: right. Well, several times a year, we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to be a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. And back in episode 169, we answered your theme park questions. And in this episode, we're answering your questions about Walt Disney's family, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney Films, and more. So last time, I asked Craig the first question, right? Sort of threw out the first question there. So uh, so this time, it's Craig's
1: turn to choose the first question. Absolutely. I would be happy to. And I know uh, there's, there's a couple good ones in and some of the earlier categories that I think we'll get to uh, eventually here. I'll ask you in the middle. But I wanted to start off with a fun one to really uh, liven up the conversation. And this one came from Elise and uh, saying, if we could commission Leslie Iwerks to make a second season of the Imagineering story, what topics would we have her focus on? Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Because
0: I, I, re- yeah, I gave this a lot of thought and I would like to see a focus more on the international parks because of the technology that they used. Because they, they've used a lot of next generation technology in attractions uh-huh. like Mystic Manor, um, Shanghai's Pirates of the Caribbean. So I'd like to see, you know, the, uh, Tokyo's Beauty and the Beast attraction that just opened. I'd like to see what went into that. I'd like to, I'd like them to focus like really on the concept design and building of Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh I'd like to get more into Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. You know, they got into a lot of this, but I'd like to see in a second season, I don't know, maybe doing more deep dives into some of this. And oh, I really want to learn more about that gymnastic audio animatronic figure that's supposed to be spider-man mm-hmm. out in california adventure that fascinates me how did they get that thing to work and not miss you know it's bar yeah and and all that so those are just some of the things that pop into my head that you know she did like an overview in the first season i would like to see more in depth i think um explorations in the second season
1: Yeah, it first season was definitely a one hundred and one in in the sense of you know how we talk about college classes and even on podcasts when you're talking about uh, approaching historical elements in a teaching way. It's your one hundred and one is the complete basis for beginners who don't know anything about it but are interested in the subject. Give them the broadest information possible while still telling a full and succinct story. And she did a fantastic job of that in season one. But now it's definitely time to jump into the two o ones and the three o ones. I think there's still mm-hmm. a lot of basic information that that got swept over, and you know, got, even got pushed under the rug and said maybe if we had more time, we would bring that up. But I'm I'm with you completely. I think one of the greatest things about Disneyland was we have a treasure trove of information from episodes of disneyland and walt disney presents and you know all of those tv shows through the 50s and 60s that looked at disneyland up close and personal as it was really coming together and being built yeah i'd like to fill in the gaps in the time periods where it might not have been as closely looked at but we have a great idea of knowing how Disneyland came together, and even Walt Disney World. I feel like there's a little bit more of that. I, I, I think there's still room to fill in gaps. But by the time that Animal Kingdom came around, you know that's when the Travel Channel documentaries were around, and really like focusing on on that park too. So Walt Disney World has adequate coverage. But I, I, I have a thirst for a lot of the international parks that. I I don't know when I will visit them. I want to visit all of them besides, you know, I've already been to France, but with Tokyo and Shanghai and Hong Kong, I want to get there eventually. But if there's a way for these, uh, like Leslie Iwerks to do documentaries that really fill out these parks that help ease the the pain of not being able to travel there quite yet, I would absolutely, I I would love that. I would love to know... Mm -hmm. Which attractions, you know, without spoilers, like giving away the attractions, I'd like to know which attractions are the ones that that I really want them to transport over to Walt Disney World or, or Disneyland. You know, it's I, I'm kind of starting to decide in that that form of people that says I don't want them necessarily taking rides from Disneyland and copying and pasting them in Walt Disney World and vice versa but for the international parks that I might only visit once in my life or once every 20, 30 years, there's a lot of those that maybe I would like them to bring over to Florida or California, and I can't really know what I'm missing on unless I go there or if I have enough of a if I have enough of a taste to know that I'm missing out on something. And there's some attractions that I feel like they're good at giving you a taste of. like I clearly know I'm missing out on Mystic Manor. Uh, for mm-hmm. years, we knew that we were missing out on Ratatouille in Paris. I know I'm missing out on the, the trackless style ride for Winnie the Pooh and, and of course Pirates and Tron. And we're at least getting Tron here, but uh, I know there's more attractions like that out there that. It would be cool if we could have them here, but I need that I I need that media out there that makes me know what I'm missing from those international parks.
0: Well and look at all the expansions they're doing in the international parks. It'd be fascinating if she could take us through those. I would love to her to do a series on okay, they know they're going to do an expansion. Take us through it from you know What, what goes into making that decision? What goes into deciding what's in it? How did the design process, the, uh, the, what, what gets kept? What gets thrown out? All the iteration. I would love to be the fly on the wall during, you know, how does something go from, okay, we think it's time to
1: expand to having to opening day. Yeah. I completely agree with that too, especially for, Some of these expansions that, you know, I'm so happy that Beauty and the Beast is getting its love in Tokyo, but then part of me scratches my head on that like I did with New Fantasyland. It's like, what took so long for Beauty and the Beast to get this representation that it, it God, what took Little Mermaid so long? What took even <laughs> Snow White this long to get something more fleshed out than just one dark ride? And where did this, this decision come from? Is this decision fully based on marketing and money for merchandising? Or is it just... Is this like what we hope for from Imagineering that like we know this can be beautiful and we have this idea to bring this story to life in this way? What is, what's the ultimate motivating factor? And, and yeah. I know some of it's trade secrets, but I feel like, I feel like there is a toss up with some of the expansions that they make where some of it is fully based around. Uh solely just profits on merchandising, and it would be cool to know like what what are the ones that squeezed through that weren't based on what money they can actually make, but because there was a good story and idea and good bones there
0: mm-hmm. yeah I agree, okay
1: well, let's hope there is another
0: season I mean she's dropped hints here and there that you know there there's content and that she has ideas. And it'll probably be a while before yeah. they can put something together, especially with the pandemic now, because they probably need extra footage and more interviews to, um, you know, round some of the segments out and give and, and develop them more. So I don't know. Maybe it'll yeah. be another year or so. I, maybe we'll see another season.
1: Yeah, I feel like at the very least, we know we're going to get a season two that will probably be. More like what the first season was, but just because of that extra footage, more of a potentially more of a condensed season that is just mm-hmm. like, hey, we did have all this stuff lying on the cutting room floor that we can put out. That's not necessarily special features, but not enough to do a, a full blown second series, but kind of like a a one point five, but not as bad yeah. as the Lion King one point five was.
0: <laughs> a lot of people said they liked
1: that one. Well, a lot of people don't have great taste, and I'm, I'm calling them out on it right now. <laughs> and that's why they have the second Maleficent film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All righty. Okay, well, you know, and we're in the film Disney plus Walt Disney Studios category. That's where that, film came, that question came from. So I'm going to stay there for you. And Patrick asked, because... Because I know you listen to Christmas records year round, um, what are your favorite Christmas Disney movies to watch during the holidays?
1: Oh, I mean that's that's always a loaded question, especially now that there are technically under the umbrella of Disney. Now that mm-hmm. we fully own Fox, you know, there's there's a lot more additions to it because now <clears> we can consider Home Alone uh, a Christmas movie and. The same with uh, a Christmas Disney movie, that is. And same goes for Miracle on 34th Street. That That one was on my list, the original. Uh, uh, Of course, I always, you know, I talk about uh, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it's, it's arguably the best telling version of that story. But the one thing that I do want to bring up that it's still, and I'm bringing it up for this specific reason, uh, it's still not on Disney Plus, but I actually do really enjoy the Prep and Landing uh, shorts. Yes. Yes. Me too. And they were on my list. I, I know it will probably make it to Disney Plus eventually. It's not there now. You know, you st- they still show it on ABC, but I, I think they are actually really underrated. And I didn't give either one of the two a chance until they made jingle bell jingle bam at disney's hollywood studios and that seeing that show was enough for me to be like okay maybe i need to actually watch these and when i finally did i was so pleasantly surprised with it there was so much heart and they are start to finish it is christmas 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 down mm-hmm. your throat and i expected them to be very uh you know cheesy and Aimed at kids in that kind of humor. And it really wasn't. It's was almost on the same level of any Disney or Pixar movie where adults will enjoy it just as much as kids, maybe even more with a, a little bit of a nostalgic sense. Like one thing I really love about the prep and landing series is that they, they find ways to infuse uh, some of the classic Christmas songs from the fifties and sixties. And so mm-hmm. that adds that extra level that, you know, it's, uh, uh, an adult can watch that and feel like, okay, this is, there's an old heart to this and, uh, uh, almost a callback to the classic, uh, Christmas specials. And so that's, that's a, a massive, massive one for me. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to think about a couple other while you share some of yours. Oh, let's see. Well, there's Mickey's Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I like to watch that one. Uh, of course, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, written in its proper season. Uh, of course, <laughs> the, there's there's a lot of shorts that I like. Uh, the small one that I believe Don Bluth worked on that one. Yeah, and that, and and um, I enjoyed that one. I remember seeing that in the theater. Uh, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. I think that was a directed DVD. Release, but it's charming. I really enjoy it. I have to watch the Nutcracker Suite from Fantasia mm-hmm. at Christmas time. Uh, another short from Melody Time. I like Once Upon a Winter Time. I always watch that. Um, Pluto's Christmas Tree. That short. I think that's on Disney Plus too. Yeah, and um, and then the Silly Symphonies, The Night Before Christmas, and Santa's Workshop as well. I always enjoy watching those. Uh Once in a while, I'll watch The Santa Claus, but it's not on my um yearly cycle. And one that I watched years ago, and I haven't watched it in a while, but I thought it had a charm to it, was Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. I've, I've never watched it. <laughs> and I th- I thought it was cute. I, I watched it with my children and... um Anyway, so those are the ones I have a lot of non-Disney ones on my list. That but those are the these are the these are the Disney ones I watch. In addition to the ones that you mentioned too.
1: Yeah, I I Disney is not my main priority during the holiday season. Is as weird as that sounds, because Disney does own so many holiday movies. Uh, it, it, I find that a lot of the ones I do gravitate towards are are not necessarily Disney centric, and that's not that that's not a problem. But it's uh, it's also uh, I, I like to blur the lines when it comes to to Christmas related movies. I am that type of person who watches Die Hard at Christmas, even though I recognize that. It is not a Christmas movie. It is a movie it's an action movie that takes place around Christmas. And uh, I, I I like to blur the lines between that. If it takes place at Christmas, I give it a pass to be watched at any point in time during the Christmas season. So even if there's even if there's like one important scene in a movie that takes place at the Christmas period, then I will I will write that off as an entire Christmas movie. But I think that's like that that even takes me back to like some of the classic movies like Holiday Inn is considered a Christmas movie, even though, you know, that's uh, maybe when you chalk it up to everything, there's 10 minutes of that movie devoted to Christmas and the rest mm-hmm. is other holidays and frankly one segment that goes on far too long that is just extremely cr- cringe worthy to watch in this day and age but <laughs>
0: oh i know which one you mean <laughs> yeah
1: it's yes. it, it kills me i am i i respect tcm and like the blu-ray for presenting it in its full uh sequence but like when amc used to show it and they decided to cut out that sequence i'm like it's you no, that's honestly right. it's it's for it's for the better but um I'm I I feel the same way about that. It's in the movie its spiritual successor, uh White Christmas, that White of course Christmas, is yeah. you know, it, it it's uh, It is a Christmas movie in in the smallest sense. You could argue that it's more of a war movie than it is of a a Christmas movie at points. But I I take it all in and lump together. And then I throw in the classics like A Christmas Story, which you got to visit the museum the last time you Mm -hmm. were in that neck of the woods and Christmas Vacation and all the good ones. I just – there's so much good at Christmas. And I like – I think I watch every
0: version of A Christmas Carol ever made. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, but thinking of films that we, Carol and I would watch at Christmas, even though there's only one Christmas segment, The Desk Set with, uh, Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. I've never and, seen it. And, oh, it is a tr- you would love it. It's a terrific film, but there's one that, and you know, it's in that forties, fifties you know mid century modern look, mm-hmm. which is great, and you know it's the advent of the um electronic brain which and and the and it's made by a company who i think the, i think the acronyms are still i b m oh, and really? um but they have a different name for it, and the um but um there's one s- lengthy segment that is Christmas and it is so of its era with the raucous Christmas party where everybody at the office and they, they work in basically it's like an NBC kind of hmm. thing. And, um, but they, and they work in this, I mean, everybody's drunk in this place and you know, and they're having parties and you know, people are, Fraternizing with each other, and it's none of which you could do today. And I'm not sure if we're better off because <laughs> of it, but um, it the whole film is a delight. But Carol and I watch it at Christmas because of that scene and all that,
1: so yeah, um, I it's you know. there. I mean I feel the same way too An, another one that gets shown at Christmas every single year that it's it's the same way but meet me in St. Louis it's yes literally mm-hmm. just it, it and it, it only has 50, maybe 15 minutes of it devoted to Christmas time but because of it we have probably the best Christmas song of all time mm-hmm. it's, you know some people might say silent night i say have yourself a very uh, a Merry Little Christmas, but it's it, there's an argument back and forth on there, but yeah. Well, one
0: is a hymn, and one is, I I consider like a Christmas carol or a Christmas song.
1: Yes, so it,
0: I differentiate, I categorize Christmas music.
1: You You and I are very similar in those those <laughs> regards. Other people just lump it all together, but that's. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's very strange to watch a lot of those movies when there's only that one Christmas segment. So that's when I try to throw them in like right now or those are my after Christmas movies where in that week between Christmas and New Year's when we're technically still in the 12 days of Christmas, but you're starting to lose that feeling. That's when I'll go in and I'll say that's those are the movies to ease me off of Christmas where it's just that one mm-hmm. little the one little moment to make me realize like okay yeah I I miss I miss this already. Yeah,
0: yeah, but um, a watch desk set. I will it, you you'll put it on your annual rotation.
1: I'm I'm excited so. for it. I I always love coming across a new movie that I haven't seen before and that's definitely one of them. <laughs> mhm. Okay, your turn. I am going to go up to the uh, Walt Disney section, and uh, this one is—I I don't want to say controversial in any ways, but I, I think it's going to be a interesting, interesting topic for a lot of people who might not be more well read on Walt. But how much is known about Walt's views on religion and/or spirituality? And of course, was he raised in a particular, particularly religious household? And this came from Ariel.
0: Okay, yeah, and, and I think she has a PS down there too. Cuz yeah. I have an answer to that as I well. I did.
1: Yeah, sorry. I <laughs> completely I, I had that part blocked off on where it was at on the page here, but PS, my <laughs> husband Andy and I were so happy to meet you at the Walt Disney Family Museum. You as in Michael, not Craig, last fall, and uh that was uh, uh do you remember Ariel? Oh yeah. You on I, spot do, here. I do. I <laughs> do. I know that. <laughs> so, anyway, um
0: yeah, actually, well, Walt's father, when they were in Chicago, he was, uh, he would sometimes preach at the local, I think it was a Baptist church when he was, when the regular minister wasn't there. And, um, so, and he, and he also played, I think he played his violin there at the church as well. So he was raised in, you know and and it was it was a strict Baptist Church I always say that you know Walt got all his humor <laughs> from his mother um not so much from his father and that comes from Diane disney Miller that statement so um so he was raised in a you know a, a house with religious beliefs and Walt Walt didn't raise his children in a particular denomination, although he did send Diane to a Catholic girls' school for a time. But Walt was spiritual. He did believe in spirituality. He did believe in religious, um you know, religious virtue, religious morality. He did raise his girls to believe in God and have those... um you know and and to pray and and have all of that but he he didn't belong to a particular christian church so but it was a part of their life that spirituality and that um that relig- you know that and i'm trying to think of the right word um because when i think when i say religion i think of a denomination but definitely, they were raised in a household that worshipped, uh, that, that respected, and prayed to God.
1: Yeah, almost just like saying uh, blankly, like faith. It's you have faith mm-hmm. in yes. a higher purpose. Then yes,
0: yeah. They they they, they lived in. A, they were people of faith, and they lived in, in a household where that was practiced. But did they go to a particular church every Sunday? I've never come across anything that said that and I've never heard Diane say they did except when she went
1: to a Catholic girls school for a time. Yeah. And I mean it's I don't I don't want to say that Walt didn't take time off for himself and such but I mean you just have to think about his ethics in terms of work ethics and stuff and it's I feel like if they if it was a very heavy-going church going family then a lot more would be said about it but it's uh, i i it it, it's uh, the type of person that walt appears and i hate speculating on it it just seems like you can't look at how he was as a person and the decisions he made and not say that there wasn't a little bit of faith in him Mm -hmm. and in a better look at the
0: films look at the films that he made especially the live action films How very family oriented they were. Um, a lot, several of the films were set where, I don't know, there, sometimes there was a church involved or there was a minister or something like that as a character. Look at Pollyanna. Um, and, and some other films. The interesting thing is that when Disneyland was designed and there was a, and when Main Street was designed, a church was drawn into it because, you know, in, Small town Main Street, there's usually a church, if not more than one. Walt had that removed because he said he didn't want anybody feeling ostracized when they came into Main Street. He didn't want it to look like there was one particular religion being favored over another. And he wanted Disneyland to welcome everybody. So that's why the church was removed. Um after a while, from the concept um, art for the park,
1: yeah. And but I mean, look at
0: those early renderings. There's a church on Main Street.
1: Yeah, and that's that's another thing too of Walt understanding that a, a good a good business aspect was getting as much eyes on it as possible, and you don't want to necessarily offend any one person, and you want to be as open to as many as people as possible. So. I I can understand why why stuff like that would end up uh getting getting scraped off off the floor. But it's also like, you know, it, it, that time that he was coming around in, you it's almost you look back on it now seventy years later to the fifties and such and it almost has this idea that like back then everyone was of a religion and you mm-hmm. you had to fall into a category like that so it is, it is it's a valid question worth asking at the very least
0: oh absolutely and you know back in the day even when i was a boy a lot of your social life revolved around uh the church whatever denomination you belong to but then all the little organizations that were associated with it the mother's club the father's club if you know the children's sports teams or the scout groups that the that church might have supported just like um other social clubs that people belong to, you know, the fraternal organizations like Moose Lodge and the Elks Club and the Rotary Club and the Lions Club, the Garden Club, whatever it was. And the thing is, and, and a lot of that would be reflected in Walt's films. And we've lost a lot of that in our society. People aren't drawn to those community organizations any longer and uh, there's there it's interesting because there's I've read a lot on uh, I don't know sociologists and psychologists have written about how as society um, because we've lost those organizations. People are losing their sense of belonging because they no longer join those kinds of organizations, whether they're faith based or whether they're community based. So they're feeling lost and they're searching for other things and people have gravitated towards politics and that's sort of become their, their, their source of identification and meaning. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it was, the good works that they were accomplishing through those community-based programs and, and faith-based programs. Okay. So, it, it's interesting. So, I think you definitely see that expressed in Walt's films, that obviously comes from his um, sense of community and his sense of spirituality. Bobby, that became a very complex answer, didn't
1: it? <laughs> it? It did, but I, I hope, I hope a lot of people got a lot from it. So it's it's a complex issue. Okay. Alrighty. So let's see. It's my turn to choose one, right? It is. Give me an easy one.
0: Not religion or politics-based, please. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. Was Walt a Democrat or a Republican? Well, everybody <laughs> knows that. He would only vote Democrat. I'm good. I'm slipping back down because there's a lot of questions in the film Disney Plus and Walt Disney Mm -hmm. Studios section. We we can move around because I know there's some still up above. Um, Lindsay asked, what, what's the one show slash movie that's not on Disney Plus that surprises you or that you want added? For me, it's home improvement. That's Lindsay. How, how is it not there or Hulu? Good question. Also, Craig, did you hear that Tim Allen and Richard Karn are doing a show on History Channel together? So I, I go. did
1: not hear that they were doing a show on the History Channel mm-hmm. together. That uh, color me intrigued on that of what it would. End it's up a being. competition
0: show. It's called Assembly Required. Oh, that's and so they have people that are skilled i would never be on this show uh, i think some sometimes they're like professionals or semi-professionals and they compete at building something and oh,
1: that's then fun. i
0: think yeah actually it does sound interesting and then tim allen and richard Karn, i guess are the judges
1: yeah uh, that that makes sense but um What's the one thing that surprises me that it's not on there? I, I will say something like home improvement is a big head scratcher because Mm -hmm. a a lot of people may not remember, but this was a big deal, uh, three-ish years ago that Hulu acquired a lot of rights to a lot of stuff that aired on ABC. Uh, they had home improvement, family matters, full house, uh, step by step, and dinosaurs, and a lot of that stayed on Hulu for a long time. And then, right around last year, around the time that uh, Disney Plus launched, I know uh, Home Improvement dropped off of Hulu, and Dinosaurs dropped off a couple years back. That wasn't on there very long, but it started. It started uh, that that line of questioning of, well, will this stuff get transferred over? Because uh, like Boy Meets World was on Hulu and then got transferred over to Disney Plus step by step and Family Matters stayed on, uh, on Hulu, which like Family Matters, I think that's because maybe its production company was Warner Brothers. If I can remember, same as Full House, but it aired on ABC. So then you start getting into the, the confusing breakdown of all these different studios of what production company made it versus what actual platform was it distributed on and that's that's a whole other a big subsect but home improvement is a big one that's i believe that was like disney owned through and through i think that was touchstone and then aired on abc and so that one feels like it would be a shoe in to be on on if not disney plus then then hulu there add it back on at the very least unless someone else bought out the distribution rights to it and then again it's right up in the air but uh beyond beyond that there's a lot of uh classic cartoons that I still feel like aren't being added at a quick enough pace a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that was on Disneyland box sets that we know is ready to go. a lot of stuff that is aired on uh you know the TCM treasures from the Disney Vault that was remastered in h d that's ready to go like how Third man on the Mountain still has not been added to Disney plus is just beyond me, considering that was in the very first round of treasures from the Disney Vault so it's it's there it's ready to go. It's just why hasn't why hasn't it been added? actually to to the streaming service. And that's that's to me where the biggest gaps still exist in that that nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies entertainment that just feels like is it, it's tiptoed around that they want to start releasing some more of it, but they're not they're not going full fledged into it. And again, that could just be because it's not necessarily the demographic that they're trying to a- attract to Disney Plus. But, uh, you know, eventually, eventually down the line, we will have to make decisions on what streaming services we want to continue on with. And, you know, Disney Plus for me, I-, I definitely am going to keep it for another year because Mandalorian season two just came out and uh and you know we have new mickey mouse cartoons even though it's in the mm-hmm. the crazy style that's coming out very shortly yes. but uh if if they don't start getting more interesting with their original programming i might i might not uh i i might not continue long because i didn't i didn't sign up for the three-year program at day 23 i I was sold on it, but not three years commitment sold on it, even though it worked out that it was a, a better deal in the long run. So I should have done that, but I just decided to go with the yearly installments and keep it that way. But I, after this year, if I'm not fully sold on it, I could definitely see myself dropping down to, to a monthly subscription and then just picking it up at times where I'm really interested in, in binging a lot on that program.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. They need to step up their game. Unfortunately, the pandemic has probably hit some of their original programming. Although it looks like now they're going to start moving films that would have been released to theaters, maybe a little more, over to Disney Plus. Um, oh,
1: yeah. because
0: it's just the twenty twenty one twenty two 22 schedules are filling up and, um,
1: Yeah, and and
0: who knows? And so it might get more interesting.
1: It it could, but but, you know, it's like something like Soul debuting on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. Of course, I'm excited for that. But that to me is a no brainer that I'm going to own that on physical form at some point in time. And i I'm getting I'm getting to that point where I would rather just wait for it on physical form, like I'm doing with Mulan. I will, Mm -hmm. I will either watch that on Disney Plus when it's free in December if that still happens or when it's it's a physical release and that's that's all I need for it. And then a lot of the other stuff that's being added, I'm just I'm not finding myself having enough time to then say, I want to watch this. Like I've heard a lot of great stuff about that Clouds movie that came out on Disney Plus that it's you know, it's 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 a nice heartwarming family film, but I'm like I'm four series behind on Netflix with with things I wanna watch. I still wanna watch the Queen's mm-hmm. Gambit on there and Oh and like yeah, me too. I heard three, that's good. Uh, yeah, and I you know, Star Trek just came back on CBS All Access and so I need to I need to start digging into that. So it's I, I'm just I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm just not watching Disney Plus like I thought I would I would be. And mm-hmm. it's that's when when you start losing massive Disney fans, that's not a good sign. Yeah. There's still some series on
0: Disney Plus I haven't started yet that I know I want to. I want to watch the right stuff. I want to watch um oh the uh the making of Frozen Two. Um Oh, which there's another one. It was which is in my head and it just went out. Oh that, that Animal Kingdom series. Um, I just haven't had time to watch
1: them, so there's still a few things on there I want to see. Yeah, but, I have right stuff so, on my list, and yeah. I, I will get to that probably after Christmas, just because I'm I'm busy with the the Christmas viewing right now. But Animal Kingdom, I've talked about it on the show before. My dogs bark at the TV anytime an animals <laughs> on. I'll I'll never be able to watch that unless I'm I'm huddled up here in my office with headphones on and pray that dog's hearing isn't better than anything else in the world.
0: <laughs> I have a cat that watches television with me. He's completely fascinated by it. So, but um, but anyway, but no, some things that I'd like to see brought back. It, it, I, I want to see more of the classic ones like you do. Like, of course, I've talked about forever, if you've been listening to the show, the Disney Family Album. That series needs to be brought back. From the, it was one of the original Disney Channel series and needs to be brought back to, um, Disney Plus. It, it's just fantastic for Disney history lovers. Um, the complete Mickey Mouse Club original series. Why aren't they starting to bring more of that? More episodes of that back. Uh, and then there's a couple, uh, you know, um, The Swamp Fox, uh, that was a great series that ran the, the, the Disney ran you know way back in the day in the fifties, and then this was a box set from the Disney Treasure series that, oh my gosh, I think it's still one of the most sought after Doctor Sin, the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. I would love to see that mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. um on disney plus so um anyway, yeah. so
1: that that's just a few of the things I'd like to see and there's there's even more like when you really start going down the list like. Why haven't they added any of like the VHS sing along songs to Disney mm-hmm. Plus? That I, I'm sure would just get repeat viewing from from all these kids at home. Just like I used to wear out my VHS tapes of of the sing along songs on there. I know a lot of people ask for the Muppet Show, but that it, it's still a stretch. We couldn't even get the complete Muppet Show on on DVD because of music licensing and stuff. So. I, I don't think it will ever happen in a streaming sense. It that just to me seems like it, it's going to be way, way too much too much of a stretch. And my my bucket list item though is a completely restored back to its original uh, theatrical intentions of uh the brave little toaster. Which ah. When that was that hasn't been streaming ever when it was released on DVD, it was like butchered three different ways. And just, you know, either they cropped it wrong or they got the color scheme wrong. But I want I want someone to go back and completely restore it and show it as it was originally intended to be, because the Brave Little Toaster is such a good movie. Mm -hmm. I have never seen it. Just even though like the DVD copies and stuff of it aren't great just go and watch it. It's so, so well done. And it's, you can tell how a lot of the animators that worked on it, you know, Tim Burton and uh, John Lasseter, you can tell how you you can tell that everyone who worked on that was destined to do really great things in their careers and that Mm -hmm. all, all of the bones there were good. It's just what they were going to do beyond that, that movie. And it's, uh, it was a classic growing up
0: okay
1: all right i think it's your turn now it is my turn so um i'm gonna this one's a bit broad but i feel like maybe we can get at least one tidbit from it from you but steve asked what disney topic do you feel hasn't been researched or focused on to the extent it deserves
0: oh let's see I know I always think about, okay, if I ever write a book someday, what he'll be on. Um, I feel like the wives of Walt and Roy Disney and their influence That's on them. One. I mean, they had, they had a lot to do with, you know, helping Walt and Roy get that studio going in the beginning. And, um, you know, and Walt always said that, you, you know, Walt ran things past Lillian. He didn't always take her advice, but he ran things past her and he, uh, and he um he really respected her advice and i I don't know if it was Roy or somebody who said that you always knew when when Lillian wasn't available to Walt because that's when he made his worst decisions <laughs> so, um but and and you know almost nothing about Roy and Edna because Roy was just so private, and of course the focus was always on Walt, but um I would like to know. I would like to know more about them. And um, I think I would like to see the real Ron Miller story be told. And um, I think we only hear bits and pieces. And a lot of it is coming in the post Michael Eisner era where some of it's been rewritten.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would like to, you know, get the full picture of his contributions to the company. And, um, I think there's still so many stories to come out of imagineering that we and this goes back again to the Leslie Iwerks story, yeah, and all that but but even like in everything, there's so many people that help create those Disney films, you know that we know very little about that you know they didn't get credit, you know back in the day, who created the stories and created the artwork. And, and also the people that helped create the theme parks that we, we don't know who they are, but they made significant contributions to them. I I would like to hear more of their stories told. Okay. Okay. Well, this one only you can answer. This is some Mackenzie. What is the most popular episode based on streams and downloads of connecting with Walt? I'm curious to know this one.
1: Oh, uh, we've had um, some big ones. I will say I think. I, I looked up the the facts before we recorded the um, the first version of this episode, in case we got to this question, and I didn't pull it back up and I didn't write it down. So I'm, I apologize. I'm not I'm not fully prepared for it. But if I remember correctly, uh, our I'll say our most popular series was focused on a lot of the Magic Kingdom lands early on when we did those uh, in our first run. I think. Tomorrowland and Fantasyland were the two that uh, were definitely the most popular in, in the grandest uh, sense of it all. But uh, it, it's kind of hard saying what is the most popular in, in terms of what people like on our show, because uh, I, I try to break it down not just by... What series it is, but individual episodes. And so like, some of our most popular uh, episodes downloaded were like our our talks that we had with Bob Gurr, for good reasons, or fantastic Mm -hmm. episodes. But you know, when you break that out over three episodes, they might not all do the same. Because people just, you know, they fall off, fall behind and such. But when you, when you really start to compare it versus other stuff, you know, it's then you see the bigger difference in it. But, uh, by, by far and beyond, a lot of those, uh, anytime. We dig into the, uh, the theme parks in terms of kind of breaking up the history of the lands or like, uh, our recent series on a lot of the Epcot pavilions that we've gotten through so far. Those have been wildly, wildly popular. Uh, those ones have all done well. Unfortunately for us, the, uh, the TCM treasures from the Disney vault episodes were always very, very big favorites. Uh, I guess we helped a lot of people, uh, you know, get their their information behind the the movies that were going to be shared and uh they were a lot of fun to do but unfortunately tcm kind of uh threw a wrench in our system for those episodes <laughs> or disney plus did <laughs> yeah they, they both they both uh, contributed to it for yeah. sure but those were those were some of the bigger ones but uh it's it, it all depends okay great should you, do you want to ask one last question? Yeah, let's let's go with one last question here. This one could also uh, uh, provide some interesting conversation, potentially. But this one came from Jen, and lots of people discussed the negative of the Eisner years as it relates to the parks. What was a good part of those years? Yeah, I think the negative is really the last few years.
0: Of his, um, reign, uh, basically after Frank Wells passed, um, because they were just a good uh, buffer for each other, a good, you know, Frank could offset some of Michael's, um, ideas and stuff. But, um, I think we, the Disney we enjoy today, we owe a lot to Michael Eisner. Um, when you think about it, when, Michael Eisner and Frank Wells both came to the company. You know, there, there. You know, Disneyland had one park and one hotel, and Walt Disney World had what? They had two parks, and I don't know, a handful of hotels and a camping ground and all of that and Michael Eisner, you know, and they were, they were only releasing a handful of films a year there. There was always consideration of of ending animation. Although, you know, I think, um, you know, Roy, um, Roy Disney had a lot to do with, um, bringing, uh, you know, Roy Disney had a lot to do with bringing, um, back animation, but, um, if it wasn't for Michael Eisner, he just heavily invested in expansion of all the parks, you know, Disney, MGM Studios, and in Animal Kingdom, and in all the resorts around Walt Disney World, Uh you know, the output of films and animated features just grew tremendously. Uh The expansion, you know, of California Adventure, well, you know, maybe that wasn't so great because they cut back on it, but then they fixed it up. Uh, you know, even though the Tokyo Disneyland was already there and they were already, were talking about moving into Europe. I mean, Michael Eisner really spearheaded, uh, you know, Euro Disneyland in a lot of ways and, and Hong Kong Disneyland. And so, um, just, you know, again, Disney would be completely different if it wasn't for um, Michael Eisner. I mean, he really made it a huge multimedia empire
1: um, compared to what it was. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there was a lot of success with the the film division, especially in terms of the, uh, you know, the Disney renaissance and such. And I don't think we have to go too much into that, but... I, I feel like a lot of the Diz is theme park fans, first and foremost. And that's that's what the Diz was, was founded around and planning trips to the theme parks. And so uh, to us, that is most important. And even though a lot has changed under Bob Iger and, and Bob Chapek, the park's Especially Walt Disney World are what they are because of, of Michael Eisner and that, that cannot be ignored at all. So whatever negative has come from it, that's, I I feel like that can just kind of, you know, that, that needs to. That needs to kind of take a backseat. There was it wasn't great at the end for sure at, at all. There's there's no argument about that. But there was so much positive in in a time period that I, I feel like there has to be appreciation towards that. And there's downsides to it as well too. There was a lot of positive growth, but there was a lot of stuff done on the cheap. Uh, and mm-hmm. whereas you know with Bob Iger, you can argue, yeah there was a lot of growth and there was a lot of positive stuff done, but there was also a lot of replication. There wasn't necessarily a uh, new, new creations made when you can just take, you can copy and paste things over in the parks and just get away with it from that. So there's always, there's always downsides, but I'm, I'm in the camp that I, maybe it's because I wasn't old enough for the Eisner area, Eisner, Eisner era but I look at Eisner on a, a much more positive uh, stance than I I feel like a lot of people do. Yeah, I agree. I, I think um, Walt
0: Disney World just would not be the destination multi-day or even multi-week, you know, destination that it is today, yeah. if it wasn't for Michael Eisner. And he was into being daring with architecture and other things as well. And... Um, and, you know, he cared about storytelling. And, um, you know, so, so that, you know, there, so there, there, there are a lot of things that we can be happy about. And yeah, he was definitely into synergy, maybe more so than some of his prede- predecessors, but, um,
1: but, you know, those are popular attractions. So, and th- <laughs> another positive towards him that I feel like, it's not a huge deal, but it still means a lot as a Disney fan. But I, I get blown away every time I see him tweet about something Disney related that he's excited about. Like, we, you know, he just, Mandalorian just debuted and he had positive things to say about that. And he's always, he's always happy to congratulate Disney on positive successes. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder with that, like, too, are, when, when Bob Iger is fully out of his role, are we going to see the, the social media response from him? If he's even the one writing it with, with Michael Eisner, I believe that Michael Eisner is writing his tweets out and he's the one sending them. With Bob Iger, I'm not quite sure if he's the one doing it. And I don't know if it's going to continue after. And. Then you look at someone like JPEC, He's not even he's not on social media. He's not even a player in it. So uh, at least Michael Eisner is trying to stay with what's current in because he's still working in a, in other forms and had a lot of success with uh, Bojack Horseman and such. So I think I think unfortunately he just he got there was a lot of badness at the end and it, it tarnished it. But I think overall it's we should look at Eisner with a more positive light than than what he gets a lot of times mm-hmm.
0: yeah i agree okay. well that ends this uh A. so thank you everybody for sending in your questions i'm sorry we didn't get to all of them but we had a lot of good ones prompted a good conversation here and so sometime in 2021 we'll put out another call mm-hmm. for your questions so start thinking about them now jot them down because you never know when um, Craig will put out that posting um, for more questions but now I'm going to be asking Craig some questions because it's time for this week in Disney history Okay, Craig, the week of November 11th, and a whole lot of it was who recorded what for whatever the Christmas special was in that year, Disney Christmas special. And I, I, I don't have high hopes for the Disney Christmas special this year. It sounds like, what did I read? They're going to play highlights from past Christmas specials mixed in with, I don't know what, virtual material I, I, or something i didn't I, even I see the
1: full details on that that would make sense so uh yeah i guess we'd be in store for a lot of nick cannon and mariah carey back when they were still married which that's always. i'm fun. hoping
0: well i didn't even know they were divorced i um i um I, i'm hoping for regis oh, uh, you know when yeah. he hosted those I mean, and Maybe even Walt. Hey, let's go way back if we're going to do it. Why don't they just do? Why don't they do a history of the holidays in the Disney theme parks?
1: That would be great. That'd be great. I would like that more than seeing Regis. I feel like Regis is just a little too soon for to bring him back. But I'm I'm for I don't Walt. Know. <laughs> so, I don't know. Regis went way back in
0: time, though. So um, he did it for a long time.
1: And then for a while, they
0: rotated people. So, um, anyway. Oh, well. I don't think I have any of those in here, though. (laughs) Okay. November 11th. Disneyland's real live Christmas tree to celebrate its 50th anniversary celebration was officially revealed on November 11th, 2005. How was the tree decorated to celebrate the anniversary?
1: I'm guessing they didn't put Regis's face all over it, which would have been great. no. I but. think he was at the top instead of the star. <laughs> he was it was at the his top, shining huh? visions. Yeah, they didn't, not even. They didn't go with an angel. They went with Regis. He's basically an angel, so that's right. Uh,
0: Little halo, glowing.
1: Um, I I don't know the answer to this question. I I didn't pay enough attention to Disneyland <laughs> at that point in time.
0: Well, the tree, which of course stands in Town Square was decorated with 5,000 golden ornaments in honor of Disneyland's 50th anniversary celebration. I actually saw people walking out of the park with these ornaments. These were giant ornaments. These were huge. I don't know how they got out of the park with them. Um, That's
1: so funny. I mean, it makes sense, the golden ornaments. But, uh, gosh, people love stealing stuff. this is why we
0: can't have nice things (laughs) anyway okay november 12th which disney service launched on november 12th
1: 2019 (laughs) oh um can i phone a friend (laughs) Um,
0: yeah we're still on the regis thing
1: huh uh, yeah I, i would actually like to phone regis if possible uh I don't know if he'll answer, but I uh, I think I'll go live. No, he died. That's (laughs) That's why it's too soon to have him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll go with Disney (laughs) Plus.
0: That's right. It was launched at 6 a.m. in the United States, Canada, and the Netherlands. The new on-demand streaming service offers Star Wars, Marvel, National Geographic, and Disney Pixar content, including new original series all under one roof. There you go, and I would ask you what do you think of the state of Disney Plus after one year, but
1: I think we answered that. Y- yeah, already uh, less. It needs more Regis and less of everything that it currently has.
0: <laughs> oh, just like more cowbell, more Regis. Mm-hmm. So, okay, November thirteenth. Walt Disney's third feature film premiered on November 13th, 1940 at New York's Broadway Theater, formerly known as The Colony, where Steamboat Willie debuted. What is the name of the film?
1: I think it's Hamilton. (laughs) Uh,
0: Fantasia. (laughs) That's right, Fantasia. This was a question to see if our younger listeners knew that one. Um, yes, Fantasia. The film introduces stereophonic sound to the motion picture via a special sound system dubbed Fantasound, which literally vibrated the theater seats. In attendance at the gala premiere are socialites Mrs. Henry F. DuPont, Mrs. William Randolph Hearst, and Mrs. William K. Vanderbilt. And even though this was a triumphant premiere fantasia will not be pre- appreciated for many years until its re-release in the
1: 1970s makes it a hit and once again i feel like it's not very appreciated but it I, it comes in cycles i think it's growing in appreciation i think people really appreciate it now yeah we i we, i feel like the animation is definitely appreciated now. I feel like we need to get back on a sense where the the music itself is appreciated. It, mm-hmm. We need more classical music out there. Yeah,
0: I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. On November 14th, the Disney Channel premieres a sitcom sequel to the 1950s and 60s series Leave It the Beaver. And it's also based on a 1983 CBS television movie on November 14th, 1984. What is the name of this
1: series? I think you asked me this one last year and I, ju- I don't remember it. It's called Still
0: the Beaver. And it premiered with the episode Growing Pains. And this new series focused on Wally Cleaver, Tony Dow, and his younger brother, Theodore Beaver Cleaver, who is, of course, played by Jerry Mathers, who are all grown up with families of their own. Still, the Beaver will only last for one year on the Disney Channel before being picked up by TBS for another four seasons. The 1983 CBS television movie was so depressing. I mean, I think one of the opening scenes is a flashback to when, um, Ward's funeral. Oh my gosh. gosh. And then, um, and, and Tony and his wife are trying to conceive a child, but Tony, uh, but the, um, little blue pill has not been invented yet, which would have resolved their problem. I couldn't believe what was in this, this film. And um Leave It the Beaver. His wife abandoned him and his two sons to go join, I don't know, some sort of cult or something. I mean and so he moves back in with his mother, who I think is a city councilwoman at that point. She's the only one well adjusted in this in the whole thing. And so um the the when it then became a series on the Disney Channel, they tried to clean it up a bit and they and they recast um they recast some uh i think one of um, leave it to beavers um sons
1: and um and all that, and so it was better <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> so. better than the uh sixty eight version where Eddie Haskell joined the manson family, so uh one step forward at least
0: well yeah, but Eddie Haskell was on it <laughs> they um and I think, oh, gosh, the the only thing is that, that, you know, um Lumpy's dad, you know, he'd also portray. he was also on like the Din Van, Dick Van Dyke show. Um, well, he had passed in real life and they recast him. And, you know, he was like really tall and all that. And they recast a, a short, chubby fellow. And I thought, okay, you should have just let him have joined Ward, you know, okay. rather than doing that and they recast whitey it was like ed begley you know oh, so those are a couple begley, of things Jr. i know but when it's somebody you recognize and you know okay that's really not whitey because they were really careful to use the adults who had been children on the show and then they throw in ed begley
1: it was like when uh dick clark's Rockin' new year's eve decided to recast dick clark as ryan seacrest it
0: just didn't oh, feel right. Yeah, see, I thought they should have just had an audio animatronic. Yeah, Dick. It's, it's, Disney could have done that. I either had or replace
1: him with <laughs> Regis. I mean,
0: I always thought in that first year after he passed to help us get over it, instead of lowering the ball on Times Square, they should have lowered Dick Clark's casket. <laughs> This
1: is becoming the darkest history segment have
0: ever <laughs> It really is, and I'm only drinking water and tea. I mean, it's not like I even have an excuse. I'm not. It's just.
1: Okay. It started with Regis, and it went from there. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, my gosh. Where's the rest of my questions? They're gone.
0: I don't know where they went. Well, that's scary. Oh, no. You know what? I started on the second page. I got to go back up to November 8th. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go back up to November 8th now. Wait, but so, we're on
1: November 16th.
0: Uh, now, we were on November um, 14th, but I should have started, and I started at November 11th. Oh, I should have started at November 8th. So, we have to go through 8th, 9th, and 10th. Nope. Oh, this is a weird okay. evening. Okay, <laughs> November 8th. Okay, Walt Disney's 21st animated feature film is released to theaters on November 8th, 1973. What is the name of this film? 73, I think that was uh, Robin Hood. That was. That was Robin Hood. Uh, this is my son's, one of his favorite films. I never, you know, I never cared for this film. But um, some 350,000 drawings were made for the production with over 100,000 painted cells and 800 painted backgrounds. It will earn an Academy Award nomination for the song Love. Written by George Bruns and Floyd Huddleston. Again, I didn't care for the song. There, there was just really nothing about this film that I liked.
1: I like, so. I like the music. I recently uh, finally purchased the, um, the Legacy Edition soundtrack, and mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a solid, solid score. And I, I, I like the songs a lot better than I do when they're in the context of the movie. Yeah. I like the little one, you know, the one in the beginning, you know, the
0: Ballad of Robin Hood, I Mm -hmm, guess. mm -hmm. But that's about it. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. Okay, November 9th. On November 9th, 1994, Disneyland closes the turnstiles at the end of the day on one of its oldest and most popular attractions. Which attraction was it?
1: 94? um, I'm not sure. It's the Skyway. A
0: gondola lift attraction. It had been open since June 1956. It was reportedly closed due to stress cracks and the enormous impending costs to retrofit it for earthquake safety. It was built by Von Roll Limited based in Bern, Switzerland. It was the first Von Roll type 101 aerial ropeway in the United
1: States. Well, I mean, it had to go so that one day Disneyland would be able to get the, the Disney Skyliner Oh yes, over at Walt Disney World. Well, yes. oh, you're going to get it in Disneyland one day. In, oh, where's it going to travel between? <laughs> it'll finally make it easier to travel between the uh, Roscoe's uh, Chicken and Waffle <laughs> and and Disneyland Hotel. So oh, okay, that'll be good. Yeah. So okay,
0: okay, November tenth. The most famous unknown composer of the 20th century was born in Missouri on November 10th, 1891. He scored two of the first three Mickey Mouse cartoons and inspired Walt Disney to create this silly symphony cartoon series. What is his name? Carl Stalling. That's right. So while working as the house organist at the ISIS Movie Theater in Kansas City, Stalling came to the attention of Walt Disney. Stalling was hired as the musical director for Walt Disney's fledgling animation company, and he scored two of the first three Mickey Mouse cartoons, Plain Crazy and the Galloping Gaucho, and later Many Silly Symphony Shorts, Discussions with Walt Disney about whether the animation or the musical score should come first led to the creation of the Silly Symphonies. But starting in 1936, Stalling began working for Warner Brothers, writing music for Looney Tunes Shorts for over 21 years. As much as I love Looney Tunes and I appreciate them even more because of Carl Stalling's music.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a perfect companion.
0: Yeah, and now we're all caught up. Good, <laughs> and then good. we'd go to November 11th. So there we go. We were all over the place in Disney history this week. Did a good job. Oh, thank you. So, Craig, how was your um, Halloween this year? Did you get any trick? Oh, no, you don't do trick-or-treaters. You go to... You got a universal or someplace. Uh, no,
1: we we do trick-or-treat. Uh, we did go this year uh, Halloween morning and afternoon to Universal to do the uh, haunted houses and the Beetlejuice house that only opened up for two days. But we we typically uh, we typically, you know, cater to the trick-or-treaters in our neighborhood and we get a couple hundred, but this year we we just uh, i think we talked about it briefly on last week's show and i i was on the fence i said i wasn't going to do it but we'd have to see and ultimately i we didn't buy any candy we just decided not to do it and didn't participate and instead uh you know, we ignored the doorbell like 3 times and <laughs> just uh hid out and acted like we we weren't in the house while we were really sitting on the couch watching Halloween movies, but then we uh we ended up taking a drive around our neighborhood and uh uh the neighborhood next door to look at Halloween decorations because our neighborhood goes like all out. With uh, decor and so yeah we spent we spent about an hour in the car just driving around and it's it was actually amazing for us that like our neighborhood in particular and then like the street that we live on and a couple of the other ones like it goes fully blown halloween and then the neighborhood that's right next to ours that we figured would be exactly like ours in terms of decorations and the amount of trick-or-treaters out, there was nothing. Like, it was a complete ghost town. So, it it made us feel better, like... Knowing that we were in the one place that we were truly meant to be for for holidays and holiday decorations. But Mm -hmm. we uh, we saw a lot of cool ways that people were giving out uh, candy to trick or treaters. But ultimately, we feel like we made the right decision because uh, I would say maybe, maybe generously, like one out of 10 people were wearing masks. And that's probably it's probably closer to like one out of 20 or one out of 30. So no one, no one really cared. Yeah. We had a lot of
0: trick-or-treaters in our neighborhood and um, our court put on, we have a potluck we've done now for the last few years and um, that we do. And then some people will, then they'll have the children just come to the potluck. And, you know, we have a little fire going and, um, and then uh, there's And then like for me, then I'll, you know, I'll run up to the house and then have them come up because I do a lot of decorating for Halloween. And then um so they have that experience, too, because one year, the first year we did the potluck, we didn't have them go door to door. And the children that had come to our neighborhood every year were disappointed that I hadn't decorated and all that. So I thought, OK, we'll do both. And so, um, but this year on the court too, since we didn't know what was going to go on, uh, a lot of the families set up games for the children. There was a movie set up. It was Hocus Pocus and all that. And um so we got quite a few trick-or-treaters, not like in the past, but I didn't participate in the potluck and all that because um some families had invited friends and families to participate. And I thought, okay, I don't know how they've been physically distancing and all that in their lives, because I don't know them. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay home and I'll answer the door and all that. But, um, I know some of, and only one came to the door. One child came to the door wearing a mask. I wore my mask and all that. So they were protected from me, but a lot of people kept distance and, you know, I, I reached out to give them their candy and all that. But, um, but I know some of the people in our court had with their really little children they did go out to go trick or treating and said there were lots of children out and I know a lot of houses really decorated this year. I think I think just in general after you know the children not being able to go to school and missing out on so many things that were are normal for children um I think this was the people just wanted to make this a special night for them because you know, trick or treating is just always so exciting and it did end up getting banned basically, um, in our area, but nobody cared. They said, we're doing trick or treating. So, um, and I, you know, I thought fine, you know, I I think people are coming to the end of their, uh, lockdowns, um, here. So I think they're getting tired of it. So, um, you know, so anyway, so it was it it was fun. I, my cat Salem, the black cat, ran out at the house twice, and um, so I locked him up <laughs> for the rest of the evening. So um, otherwise, yeah, it was fun, and I watched. You know, Char- it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, because so I remember the first year that aired, so I always have to watch it. And you watch I watched as well. Yeah. And I watched, you know, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And then I forget what else I watched. I, oh, and then afterwards it was, I just so many kids come to the door. I don't think I watched anything in particular. And then I, um, then it was time to start taking things down. And then I did go out and say hello to the neighbors and stuff like that. So then a skunk. Then a skunk decided he was going to get into the festivities and pretty much cleared the area. So, And I think he was at my end of the court because it was pretty strong at my
1: end. So, anyway. I miss that smell.
0: (laughs) Well, you can smell it here about... Once or twice a month,
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's so sometimes more. Not in Orlando. It's the two things that disappoint me about Orlando: we don't have fireflies and we don't have skunks. And it's like I know it's disgusting. Like I can't say how many skunks I ran over when I lived in Pennsylvania. But it's one of those things that, as gross as it smells, when you don't smell it anymore, you just miss it. <laughs> I guess. I don't know.
0: Uh, Oh, you know what I realized? Um, Because something popped up on Facebook. We had our fifth anniversary of the show back in October. Oh, my gosh. It has been five years. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize. Because when I was on the Hyperion Hub, I think I said it was four years. (laughs) So, But, yeah, it's fifth anniversary. So, congratulations. You too. Happy anniversary.
1: Time flies. Thank you
0: it does it does it's been a fun five years of course i was doing double duty back then i was on our old disneyland show as well as connecting with walt
1: yeah yeah it's uh yeah the entire outline of shows has changed so much since back then it (laughs) has i mean because back then i was only basically doing the walt disney world show in universal and that was kind of Mm -hmm. it And, and then jumped onto this one and Gosh, it's it's been a roller coaster ever since. It has, it has. So as long as we don't go off the track. exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, so just some reminders again about Give Kids the World Night of a Million Lights from November thirteenth, twenty twenty, to January third, twenty twenty one. Of course, this is to benefit Give Kids the World, and I assume that the the. Dreams Unlimited Travel and the Moving to Orlando bungalows are, or villas are decorated. I know Dreams is. <laughs> so anyway, so we'll have a link in our show notes for that. And then the Doos Family Reunion... Um is 2021 is march 25th to the 27th at the contemporary resort of course that's being completely put on by give kids the world as a benefit for themselves but um we'll have tickets to that as well so um story time with michael the rebirth of that is in the works so uh anyway so there's still some Oh, Stories Up for Grabs, um, Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and Rose Red, if you are an artist and would like to illustrate the stories, uh you know, pictures for those based on the original fairy tales that you can find on Project Gutenberg's site from Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Tale book, um, contact me and Craig at our email addresses that we're going to give in just a few moments, so... Anyway, so, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect
1: with you? As always, you can find me on all the different shows on the Disunplugged Unplugged podcast network and then on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Telecluster, And you can email me, Craig, at wdwinfo.com. What about you, Michael?
0: You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, with connectingwithwalt Instagram and Michael Bowling the Dis, and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play and Amazon podcasts where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible.